Where did you go? To Mallorca. Oh, nice. Mallorca for you. Mallorca. Just so you understand. Yes, thanks. But it for seems that, so yeah. long ago now. Thank you for everybody not paying attention to the fact that I clearly got sunburnt whilst working yesterday. No, you, you seem to be. I've got trucker's arms arm. are tanned. Face is sunburnt. Legs haven't well, seen I, the I sun. I had to wear trousers. Um, what do you mean you had to wear trousers? I had to wear trousers. You know, dress code, you're working. And um, What, when you swam? I had, <laughs> I had no idea this was happening. Because essentially I was, I was in the shade most of the time, but mm. on occasion I had to step out from underneath the gazebo and do a little bit of work. And in doing so, I must have spent about a total of 20 minutes mm. in the sunshine. And because my nose protrudes so aggressively... Why are you looking at me from my in face? that way? Imagine just, how I feel. Well, exactly. You've got the third biggest, biggest nose in the room. <laughs> because because it you? protrudes so wildly, it, it caught the sun. Because I've got a big slaphead forehead as well... Oh, yes, I hadn't noticed that. I can, yeah, I can look at both of you that as well. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it's I've, almost like he's picking out <laughs> our <laughs> physical yes, so deformities and, and putting them on well, let's hope he doesn't follow this all the way yeah, through, yeah, yeah. Stephen, or well, we could be in big trouble. The fact <laughs> remains is that because I was wearing my sunglasses, <laughs> I've got those kind of those white goggles and I, I look fairly ridiculous. So thank you for not bringing that up. So I thought I'd self-deprecate by bringing it up myself. And it was I'm so obvious. It was pointless. The one, the one day a year he gets to work outside yeah, and he's complaining it's about it. Well, later on... A luxury to... that is not normally afforded <laughs> people in our line of em- em- employment. Exactly. Well, I, I have to go and work inside later on and the uh, makeup artist will have a good old job trying to balance what is she going to do? the several skin tones <laughs> any makeup, any makeup they put on you is just going to burn off instantly <laughs> I wish I knew who was on duty I'd, uh, I'd send them a text to warn them about what was incoming you're going to need an hour <laughs> yeah. um, so thank you for not mocking me apart from the fact that you've mocked me you brought it up though to be honest you did well I wanted it was the elephant in the room it was the slightly two-toned elephant in the room and I wanted to, um, to get out there before it became too embarrassing <laughs> at least when she says do you need any bronze today we know the answer yes. for once will be no you need yogurt o- only, only on my eyes <laughs> thanks and bearing in mind we're going to spend the next few minutes recording I might have to leave mm. to go and get some more moisturising cream cool. just put and a, a wet flannel on your face and cut holes in it the whole of last night I was sat there with my brother's girlfriend Jo who had been visiting she she was enjoying it after this a very very hard day a dark turn, isn't it? I was going to say Gemma and I were entertaining Gemma was being a host beyond all measure and there was me sitting in the corner with this wet flannel on my forehead. <laughs> Looked like an idiot. And funnily enough, not funnily enough at all, rather tragically, it was Gemma who was actually ill and yet she was doing all the hard work. You look like Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Any For all kids our youngers, don't watch that film. <laughs> Welcome to Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Our strict off-season rotation policy means that as Chinch returns, Hi. Rory has retreated to some Ooh. sort of idyllic hipster resort where he can speak at least three languages. I would imagine. So in the meantime, welcome to another couple of special shows to see us through to when the fun starts again. I'm Hugh Ferris. With me are Steve Wyeth, who, owing Hello. to his current television commitments for BBC World, it's actually harder to find a window in his schedule to sit down and record this damn thing than Andy Hinchcliffe. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who is eager to get back to Portugal so he can tune into sport today on BBC World with Stephen Wyeth. Hello. Um, and yes, congratulations to Stephen for being the ever-present so far on the show. Until his work commitments get way too much, I just can't squeeze you in. Which ties in nicely with the topic that we will be discussing, I think, incidentally. Yes, you'll, you'll find that. That is what you call in the industry, Andrew, a tease. That was beautiful. Is your consistency a 6 out of 10 or are you a 7.5 out of 10? I'm not sure. Oh, he's a very consistent player. Well, yeah, 6 out of 10. Rory gave what he termed the best wedding ever 
only a seven out of ten. So um, I don't. W- w- seven out of ten. Seven out of ten for your wedding. But it was a Yorkshire seven. It's a Yorkshire seven. Oh, so yeah, that's, that's yes, exactly. That is nine and a half. Yes, absolutely. And you'd give it a nine and a half. Absolutely. It's the first opportunity we've had to talk. about No, we're not going to talk about it again. Goodness <laughs> me. Uh, the food that we are enjoying or will be enjoying a little bit later on because it is currently spread beautifully uh, upon the work surface in the kitchen behind us is what I've called build a breakfast workshop. Really? Yeah. So there is that are a thing? individual parts, and all you need to do is it's essentially like a, a hotel breakfast buffet. Yeah. Although a really, really cheap version of it, and not at all glamorous version of it, and you get to basically take a plate or a bowl and just have a little go at it. Is that bird seed? Was that bird, granola? Well, well, it is very, very healthy. Andy, you are a man whose body is a temple. You should understand that breakfast is not to do with sugar and cereal items. No, it is to do with fruit, yogurt, the correct. Roughage, is that the correct term? Roughage. What? Bit of granola, yes. bit of oats. And I've got off um, breakfast you've already. changed. You never used to be like this. If you're lucky, I'll give you some honey. Marriage has, marriage has turned you into a much better, healthier man. Marriage, marriage healthier. diet, by the yeah. way. No cereal, just oats. Financially, it's going right to just ruin you. But anyway, you'll be a lot healthier. So to catch you up, if you have not been with us because you have been having too much fun on your holly bobs this summer, uh, and apologies if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, we have provided specials on English football, four parts, and transfers, two parts. They are all available, so please do download them, as many of you have done, actually, in tremendous numbers, so thank you. Uh, We've been a bit slack, though, as I say, well done on one hand. On the other hand, something of a chastisement. Bit slack on the rating and reviewing. So if you wouldn't mind spending a couple of seconds doing that on iTunes, it's currency. It's Apple-related currency. and Chinch, you weren't here for the transfer special, mm. and we, we were slightly demeaning to you. We said that you couldn't really contribute anything because you were only worth three million quid. So, if you could just Wait pithily a sum up... Wait a minute. Three million pounds in 1998, with inflation... Is three and a half. 3.2 million pounds. <laughs> if you were to just, just sum up your experience of your transfers about how they came about, would you say that it was a, a happy experience or a, an experience that was fraught with all sorts of meddling influences? Well, I was sold twice. So there's a big difference about wanting to leave a club, asking a club to leave. I was sold from Man City to Everton. I didn't want to leave. I, that was my boyhood club. So I was more than happy to stay there. New manager came in, Howard Kendall. He'll get a mention later. So he sold me because he wanted to do other things. And that was a, a, a big trauma for me at 19 moving to a club like Everton with all the established stars and the success they'd had when I'd only been at one club for maybe five or six years as a a junior player so that was a bit traumatic when I eventually left Everton eight years later I'd played for England don't want to talk about that but I had played for England several times you can it won't take long oh I know it won't take long Um, so it was a bit of a different kettle of fish again Howard Kendall was there but again I'd signed a new contract wanted to stay and was sold again and it was made pretty clear to me that I wasn't going to be playing and they, they wanted me out the door so I was sold twice. I didn't have the, the luxury of maybe options of, of clubs and, and actually telling uh, a club that I wanted to leave because I, I was always very happy, very happy at City, didn't want to leave, was sold, very, very happy at Everton, again was sold. So it's a, stra- a stra- not a strange situation because most players, I think, get to a point at certain clubs maybe play for more clubs than I did if you have five or six clubs maybe there is a point in your career when you feel you've got to maybe start the process and you feel it's it's right to move on or leave but I was very happy and I spent four years at uh 
at, at City. Eight years at Everton, would have stayed much longer if I could have done. Four years at Sheffield Wednesday as well. And never once asked to leave any of those clubs. And I didn't see why I should have done that. I was more than happy. And we'll talk about that uh, in our subject over the next couple of shows. We'll also talk about the fact that you didn't have an agent. Yes. So there was no agitating at mm. any point. Um, so we'll come on to that shortly. I did actually promise um, on our last series of specials a more lengthy consideration of some of your correspondence when we're all back together. That is still the case, I promise. Uh, that will also include a contribution from Mark Cole. Uh, if you're on social media, you may well know what we mean. That is all to come. Once again, Andy, in the industry, that is known as a tease. Why are, you, why are you telling me? I know these things. It's important that you know. Listen, who taught you everything you now know about the media? Um, was it, it? Oh, no, it was Hugh Ferris. That's Hugh right. Ferris. Talking of social yeah. media, which I social media... Believe, Hugh Graham nobody, Douglas Ferris, though, I think, <laughs> wasn't yeah. it? Yes, it was. Nobody yes. believes that anymore, though, Andy. Do they not? No, no. You you are allowed to name other, pe- other influences on your media career. Am you? I? Yeah, yeah. Well, like Jimmy Cranky and things like that. <laughs> yes, there are so many similarities. Talking about the shapes of our faces and everything. Um, talking of social media, which, by the way, Andy is a tool uh, for groups Andy of people. Andy is a tool. There's no need <laughs> yeah, for that. <laughs> Funnily enough, that's the most accurate thing I've said so far. Um, if you'd like to get in touch, you can do via Twitter at setpiecemenu, and the email address is setpiecemenu at gmail dot com. Once again, I do promise that we will talk more about all your contributions and indeed your subject matter suggestions, for which we are incredibly grateful. Thank you. So our next two-part special on Set Piece Menu starts right now. Loyalty. Why do we expect it? How is it earned? Does football have different standards to other sports or industries? I would ask Rory to kick us off, but he's not here, so we know what he thinks about loyalty. He's actually texted to give us his permission uh, to talk about this subject without him saying that it would not actually be disloyal. Um, But anyway, Steve, why don't you go first? Well, this was something that was mentioned to me on the school run um, several weeks ago by... It's the only the sensible dads. conversations that he has. They're yeah. also always very brief conversations, and it was one that I sort of uh, made a quick note of on my phone and forgot all about. Are we it giving was, him a name um, check? Uh, Simon, Simon Way, one of the other Good dads. Morning, His Simon. son is uh, in my class at school, six years old, they, they are. And he, he stopped me and said, you should do a podcast on loyalty. And that was about as much of the conversations that we had time for in the sort of toing and froing of parents at the school gates. But I assume, yes, his, his discussion, he's a Manchester City fan, and I guess his theory was that we hold our football stars up on a, on a pedestal, don't we? And we expect certain standards of them, and they don't always meet those standards. Do you think because we still do? Do you think we, we still do with, with current players? Well, we, you st- a lot of football fans, I'd say the vast majority of, of football fans, expect players to feel the same way about the club as they do. They don't understand that the players are, are employees. This mm. is their job. They have a contract to do, and there are many other people who may be interested in their services. Whereas as the fan of a club, of course, you're... Your loyalty to that club dates back maybe to your very early years, your formative football years. It may even be a legacy that's been handed down through the family or perhaps a passion that you cultivated with your, your school friends. And therefore, your your interest in that club is it runs an awful lot deeper than, than, than an, it would do for an, an employee. And, and unfortunately, I think still an awful lot of football fans fail to, to recognise that difference. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I, I did always see playing football as a job because I had a a young family I had a mortgage I did see it as a job and that's not saying I didn't really enjoy the job that I did I was a Mancunian born and bred so playing for City was absolutely wonderful for me but I really did feel connected 
to Everton to Sheffield Wednesday. Clearly, geographically, not where I'm from. But when I played for them, I did have incredible pride in playing well for those teams. And when I go back to those clubs to be appreciated and to people say, I remember this game or that game or, or, or the good things that you did, it really means an awful lot to me. And I'm probably slightly different. In a, and I did see it as a job, but I still, when I played, I had that passion and that connection for teams that really, when I was growing up, I didn't have anything to do with. I, I don't think that anybody thinks that footballers don't develop a loyalty towards the clubs whilst they're working well, they for are, them. They are human beings after all, so we, we have to assume somewhere deep down below all that massive arrogance and hubris that there is some instinctive human connection with mm, other yeah. humans. And, and players must develop an affinity for the people that work at those clubs. Yes, they do. Yes, you know, I yes. suppose the rank and file employees yep. whose livelihoods depend on which division perhaps that club is playing their football in and who benefit much more from success and suffer much more from, from failure. So I, I think we can recognise that, that that is a footballer will develop that sort of affinity with the club. I just wonder whether your experience is perhaps slightly different perhaps to a foreign player's experience because you would have recognised the, the significance of the clubs you played for, Manchester City, Everton and Sheffield Wednesday, within the English yes. footballing landscape. Yes. Yeah. So you would have understood... Even if you were, the, you know, a supporter of a different English team, you would have understood that the mentality of supporters of that club, and and therefore the significance of representing them on the field. Whereas I suppose if you're an imported player, you might not have the same understanding of the history of the club and therefore develop the same sort of allegiance towards Possibly, it. Yes, that might be, because it, it was very true. I think going to Everton and the success they'd had and the School of Science and how demanding Everton fans were in the type of football and footballers they wanted to see playing for their clubs. I still feel that's very true today. Sheffield Wednesday, again, their fan base. I, I did feel a pride in if you can kind of win them over and they can see you playing for their club and playing for them when you don't actually come from Sheffield or from Merseyside then to me I'm doing something right and I'm doing the right thing as well because of course it is a job and as I said you've got bills to pay and everything else but if if you do go out with that pride in performing well in front of very demanding fans which is the case probably across the country isn't it but if you're an Italian or a, a Spanish but I suppose if I went was lucky enough to go over and play for Juventus wouldn't you very quickly understand who you're playing for and the kind of how, how the fans think wouldn't modern players understand very quickly or do a bit of research or once they played a few games in front of a set of fans understand very quickly the, the, the demands that those fans would put on players of that club well, we've mentioned this story before I think that the whole Sir Alex Ferguson sitting a player down regardless of where they're from and giving them essentially a history lecture yes and making them appreciate when they join Manchester United just how important a role it is for that player to have a place in the historical yes, canon yes. of this great club. And, he, mm. and if you do that, and if you've got a forceful personality like Sir Alex Ferguson, clearly that will that will drive home. Mm. But I suppose the, the slight difference between a foreign player coming over to play for a, a club like Manchester United or even a club like, with all due respect, Carlisle or, or, mm. or somewhere that doesn't necessarily have the same um, massive yeah, amount of history is that you could... you could appreciate it without it being told to you and you could, from within... Yeah be able to to try and instinctively create that bond you could also live at home mm. which meant that you could have that part of your life settled yeah. that allowed you to almost concentrate on developing a relationship uh, with that club you're also your personalities you like to be liked you're a nice guy yeah, yeah. me yeah do I? Yeah. He's more desperate oh. to be liked, really. De desperate is yeah, probably I'm a bit needy to be fair insecure. I'm a bit needy but I, I, I just think in terms of 
finances, of course, have ch- loyalty again. It can, of course, it, certain players will feel an affinity with the clubs that they're playing for. Certain players won't. Do modern players can modern players see clubs as purely a stepping stone? Because when Lukaku first went to Everton, I always felt he was using Everton as a bit of a stepping stone to to kind of I'll do brilliantly here. Then eventually, a huge European club or a Manchester United or a Chelsea will pick me up. It's, again, that that might just be what I saw. That might be true or not. But do certain players again have absolutely no loyalty whatsoever? They'll kiss any badge that they they play for, any of the teams that they play for, and then say, "Well, a better offer comes along." I'll say, "I'm really happy here, and I love playing for this club. I want to stay for the whole of my career." A better offer comes along, and I very quickly move away. So, has money again destroyed this concept of loyalty for players? Well, we'll we'll, we'll keep it with you just for a moment. Oh, because damn. For, <laughs> Nobody turning knows. it back on me. We might stop talking about you at some oh, point no. in this program, um, but we'll, we'll turn it back to you because we'll talk about what I think Steve you described as the nirvana, what what fans expect from players, what they actually think um, might possibly be the case, and in fact we'll stick for the next few minutes about the reality about what genuinely happens in the minds of the players. So, for your experience, did you ever? You didn't go to a club basically thinking this is a stepping stone. Not at I all. I intend no. to use this to go somewhere else. You didn't have delusions of grandeur no or whether those delusions of grandeur weren't at all deluded or not but you didn't have delusions of grandeur you didn't think what, what what's next after this the first thing I had to do was prove myself to a whole new set of people within the club and a whole new set of fans watching on you might well have achieved relatively good things at the club you were at you were fairly comfortable but when you when you moved on it, it genuinely wasn't about the step up in, in money that naturally would come along if you're transferred at a young age. This tends to happen. I tended to feel I had to prove myself all over again and that's a really strong driving force. If not for all the injuries, it would have been very different. I probably would have played more games as well. But certainly when you get to the end of your career as well, you do really appreciate the position that you win. And I always did appreciate, even at 16, 17 at Man City, I appreciated what I had and how fortunate I was. And as I went through my career, I never lost sight of how fortunate I was to play for the clubs that I played for in the grounds that I play for and then obviously on your travels as well I was incredibly fortunate so I never lost sight of that but again if you talk about loyalty it's about did you want to stay at that club yes I did City, Everton, Sheffield Wednesday I never had any doubts or never kind of instigated moves thinking I'm, I'm better than this if you make your international debut which I did at uh, at Everton I was fortunate for that to happen suddenly then do maybe players think wait a minute I'm playing for Everton I'm playing for should I be maybe thinking of, of playing for a, a top four club never ever felt like that I just felt it reflected really well on what was happening at Everton so again whether that's just me or whether modern players now generally feel very differently and they will stay for two or three years and then naturally they'll start to think of moving on or their agents will start to promote them moving on if things have gone well for them I'm concerned, wonderful as this insight is, that Andy is perhaps an exception to the rule. Mm. In, In so, so many ways. So, so many, many ways. ways. So yeah, many yeah. Ways. You, you're saying an awful lot of things that I think a majority of football fans would like to hear players representing their clubs say. Mm. What I'm concerned about is that either you're, you're a rare breed or perhaps an increasingly dying breed mm. or that your outlook is that of a... I'm not going to say an English or a British player, but a domestic player, mm. that you have that outlook towards... So in any country, yeah. basically. So Italian that in any country, and, you know, that if you were playing in, in Italy, you would feel the same sense of pride playing for Juventus, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Roma, Napoli, because of the prestige of those clubs. So you And you would be able to mentally put yourself in the place of the fan as to the significance of, of that shirt mm. and that badge. I, I think increasingly... 
however much benefit imported players have, have, have brought the league in terms of the entertainment and the, the, the quality of football that we now see across all of Europe is that, that imported players are much more guns for hire, aren't they? For them, it's where can I get the best deal? It's not a case of, as you might have had the, out, the outlook, you know, well, I understand the history mm. and the significance of playing for Everton. So that is not only a move that I'm happy to make, but that, that is a club that I'm happy to continue to play for for as long as they want me. Mm. By contrast, surely the, a, a view of an increasing number of players, I think the perception of supporters would be, that yeah they, they're using clubs as a stepping stone firstly they're going to go well you know who's going to pay me the highest wages or which club is going to offer me the greatest platform to demonstrate my skills and then subsequently if I do have a great first season with that club maybe A what are they going to do to remunerate me even more richly going forward or because I've really put myself in the shop window with my displays and the success I've enjoyed this season, what club further up the food chain might mm. be interested in taking me on? And, and that, I think, is, is now the way that many people view the mentality of the modern footballer. OK, so we'll, we'll move it on now, having dealt with your moves to your new contracts. Mm. We mentioned earlier that you didn't have an agent. No. So you didn't have anybody agitating to say, after you'd had a good season, or you'd won your England caps, to say to... Bill Kenwright or whoever it was at Everton, right, this guy needs a better contract because this club wants him and are prepared to pay for him and they're prepared to pay him this amount of money. So not having an agent, again, means that you bucked a trend then and certainly now. So how did the negotiation for your new contracts come about? Did you wait for the club to reward you yes, or did you absolutely. ask? Absolutely. Never, ever once asked for a contract. Like Steve was saying, if I signed, a, it's changing now. Contracts are getting a little bit shorter, two or three years. I signed kind of four or five year deals. So and I've, once I'd signed them, that's me thinking five years down the line. I've got, I didn't see I had any right after a year, if you'd done well or played for, to go to the club and say, right, I've got three years left of this current contract. I, I should be having a new contract. I should be paid twice as much because this is what I've done. I've gained an England cap or we've won an FA Cup. I never, ever felt, because I think, well, I went into that contract in good faith. The club did as well. Of course, club, of course the club will see you as an asset. And later on in my career, when I was sold, they were doing it for financial reasons, which I perfectly understand. But it was an active choice not to have an agent because I didn't want people speaking on my behalf that I didn't know about to other clubs saying, if you're interested in Andy, there's a possibility he might sign. I didn't want any of that happening. So all my contracts were signed after the club came to me, maybe going into the final year of a contract saying, we want to offer you new terms. I never, ever once went to a club because I didn't ever feel I had the right or was good enough or big enough to walk in there and demand something in return for a club. Certainly not after, say, a year of a contract, which happens now, Steve, you're right. Players do really well for a year. They've got a four-year, three-year contract. They expect that contract to be ripped up and a new one to be provided straight away, yeah. which is maybe a new way of, of, of players seeing the job that they do, which I, I never saw it that Sometimes way. Sometimes it's a preventative measure as well. Of by course it is, yes, to, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Teams coming in. But the players shouldn't see one good year as, well, that means then suddenly things that the four-year contract I've signed should be changed instantly. Well, no, you signed it in good faith. You didn't have to sign it, but you did. So get on with it. And that's the way I saw it. But was, was your outlook the general consensus of the players? I don't know, because obviously, yeah, I, I didn't. Or did you not discuss that sort of thing? Not, not really, no. But it's very interesting you're saying about the if there's a split between the foreign players coming into the game and the domestic-based players. I'm sure it can't be 
every foreign player coming into the English game is looking at it as a stepping stone or every domestic player was really loyal to there must have been of course crossovers and, and players seeing I didn't, things I didn't come over all Brexit there did no, I? no you didn't moment, no you it? didn't no but I, I don't know I've never really this is why these podcasts are so mind blowing because they're making me think about the things poster. that I never put really that on the poster do you know what mind blowing I, I was expecting <laughs> that without Rory here that we'd have to say more I didn't realise we were going to have to think quite so much <laughs> yes as well yes, you know heads, you, 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 you don't really miss them until they're gone do you it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay can you say that now, now we're going to put that on the poster you don't really miss Rory till he's gone. <laughs> but what um, can you put yourself maybe into the, the mindset then of, of that sort of player? Mm. You know, if you perhaps were, you know, come from another part of Europe or from another part of the world, and you'd arrived at Manchester City as a as a twenty year old left back, City had paid a decent sum of money for you, but they were taking a bit of a chance. You were yeah, unproven yeah. in the English game, and you had an amazing first season. Contributed loads of assists from left back scored a couple of wonderful free kicks you know knocked in a couple of pressure penalties sounds like me doesn't well, it yeah sounds <laughs> like the trying kind of to imagine early the player, player i would have the player you could have been, been yes <laughs> damn but and, and then so after your first year at manchester city who at the time were you know not an established force in the, in the premier league that one of the really big clubs that that the rumors had started appearing in the newspapers that Manchester United were interested in taking you to the other side of the city or that, mm. that Liverpool felt that you could be the missing piece of their jigsaw Arsenal you know they they felt you know with their defensive solidity that you were the perfect addition he's really building this up I'm going to agency work so what does that feel great <laughs> Put yourself in the mentality then of that sort of footballer. I don't know whether it's, this is the thing. I don't know whether it's the footballer or the influences around the footballer okay. that go knocking on the door. If you just if you said there was no agents and it was up to the player and he'd signed a three or four year contract after a really good season at twenty years old coming in from Italy, would you go knocking on the door of any of the chairman saying? I, I, I French, I'm not sure the players would do that, but what the players can do, they're surrounded, they're insulated slightly by the people who go and do that job for them. I, I, that would be very interesting if the players had to do their own negotiations and actually make these decisions for themselves. Or I think a lot of this swirls around the players and they get swept along with it. So, I mean, so has is that a way that football has has changed and moved on in the twenty-ish? years since you were starting out that those those influences now have have a great a great effect on the path that a player's career will take I feel it would have to do because like, like we talked about how I viewed the job that I was doing and how I felt about the clubs that I played for how I viewed my contract negotiations when they came along and the fact that I didn't have an agent actively didn't have an agent for most players that's completely unheard of now they have their people don't they that's just how it is whether they're 18 years old they've got more than an agent exactly yeah. look at Donnarumma was he 18 yeah. years old at, uh, at uh, Milan, Milan yeah. again great goalkeeper big prospect surrounded by people doing all the talking for him so it's t- it would have been t- if I was playing now as 18 years old, uh, old now playing it maybe would be would I be strong enough <clears throat> not to do what everybody else is doing maybe not and then your whole career and how you view the job that you're doing would change because the, the influences around you are changing your thinking you have to be, you'd have to be an unbelievably strong personality wouldn't you to be able to, to take that position to dig your heels in to say to your agent no I'm happy I've signed a contract here I'm I'm loyal to that I'm going to honor that agreement and I believe that that we can go on and do great things because it's almost like that mentality sort of like you know ask not what the club can do for me but what I can do for my club and that perhaps is 
disappeared a little bit out of the game. It, the, 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 there was a time, wasn't there, where where the club, you know, sort of pre-Bosman, the clubs held all the pow- the power, and yeah. you know, players were even out of contract were, were tied to those clubs. Which, of course, you know, we now, you know, Bosman sort of lifted the veil on that. But but has it swung too far the well, other maybe way? That's you actually because obviously when I first started playing in the mid eighties, eighty six, eighty seven, that was the way things were. So you felt maybe fortunate to be playing for a club and that a club actually wanted you to play for them. I never, ever felt that I held the power, and I didn't at that time. And so maybe as things changed, and you went into the Premier League era, my thinking was still as it was when I was a young player at 16, 17, and nothing really changed in my mind. So that's maybe how I considered my career should go, or how I should think about myself within football. Even when money started to come in and agents started to get involved, I never felt that was right for me. But maybe that stemmed from my early days. Because nobody would criticise you full stop full like, stop there we go okay there, 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 there is a there is an and <laughs> and probably a but if if if, a, if another sort of broadcasting corporation liked what they saw Hugh doing on the BBC <coughs> and came along and said we'll double your money if you move move to our organisation next week people say well that's that's market forces that's, yes. he's done a good job somebody's liked the cut of his jib and has decided we want him to come and work for us but of course that's not the way that the world works outside of football and I suppose sport in general. This idea of two, three, four year contracts is fairly sort of specific to to, to sports yes. people, isn't yeah. it? Most other people have one to, to yeah, three, yeah, maybe yeah. six months at the most yeah. notice or rolling period. Exactly. And you yeah, just yeah. say, right, that's it, I'm or, off. See you yeah, later. Yeah. Or, or actually, like us, not a contract at all. We work for lots of different people on a, on a much more ad hoc basis. So you either, you either work like that... Or obviously, you know, lots of stuff, you know, recently in, in the press about people on zero contracts with almost no protection whatsoever. Or that you, you have a sort of continuing contract with a with an organisation and that gives you certain sort of protections in law, doesn't it? And that if a company wants to get rid of you, well, they generally need to have a pretty good reason to do so. They have to, you know, offer you redundancy and maybe try and find you other employment elsewhere in their organisation or if you want to leave and move to another job then you've got to give notice and you might have yeah. to serve quite a long notice period you might be placed on gardening leave to ensure that you know you don't go immediately to a competitor so but that doesn't exist does it that's not the, that's not the same in sport so when when people in more regular jobs are critical of, of sports people for the way they, they conduct themselves it's because they say, well, I, they, they look at themselves and say well I couldn't do that I mm. could not behave in that way but also you look at it's, it's, the, it's the everyday kind of chipping away at a, play. a player might have really good intentions about wanting to stay at a club and, and see a contract through but if you're going home every day and your wife or your kids and your friends are saying wait a minute you, you could triple your wages going to Man City or yeah. eventually that can wear people down eventually just say oh okay then we'll, yeah. we'll do this and so, so maybe we're kind of it's a bit of a disservice that there might be a lot of really well-intentioned players out there who do want to stick to their contracts who just because of the way again the influences around them just keep chipping away they just cave in and the, the other thing about fans is that I would imagine close to 100% of fans who are watching their players and are very upset when they move for tripling their wages if they were offered an opportunity to triple their wages they would probably take it yeah. um, but that's that's something of a reality that speaks to the second part of our conversation uh, that we're going to have about uh, loyalty um, next week but before we round off today's discussion by once again talking to Mr Andy Hinchcliffe about his experiences you mentioned earlier on about when you went to a new club you wanted to strike up a relationship with those who worked at the club but yeah. also the fans it was important mm. to be able to have that two-way street going on mm. so how strong 
and how much would that influence any decision that you might have made? So, for example, you have players who move to clubs or decide not to move to clubs based on who they play for or who they affi- their affinity is with. Um, John Terry said he didn't want to play against anybody else in the Premier League, so moved down a division to avoid. Yeah, he's them. got the luxury of doing he's that. He's got yes. the luxury of doing Ooh, yes, that, and yeah. a, you know he might not have had any offers that particularly suited him. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. You've got players like Wayne Rooney who said that he didn't want to play anywhere else apart from Everton. So he goes back to Everton. You've got David Beckham who said he didn't want to play against Manchester United or for anybody else in the Premier League apart from Manchester United. And again, these people have a certain luxury to be able to do so. But your affinity with those clubs, bearing in mind that you actually actively attempted to build a relationship with the fans and those who are working around you, would you have ever moved to Liverpool? Having played for Everton, would you ever move well, to Manchester United? There, there was a, there was a or, chance that I was Sheffield going to, United. When I was a young lad coming through at City, there was rumours before United bought Dennis Irwin. What a terrible decision <laughs> that was <laughs> to go for Irwin ahead of Hinchcliffe. <laughs> Big there was, the and, and I remember <laughs> the history of football could be so different. <laughs> just, just it could baffling. be so much worse, couldn't it? <laughs> but yes, there was rumours that uh, that United were looking at me and were thinking about a possible move, and, and money was mentioned. I, I, it was the last thing. I wanted. I wanted just to stay under the radar and keep playing football with lads that I'd grown up for five or six years. So again, it's all my personal situation and the way I felt. I didn't want to put my head above the parapet and be noticed. And that's why playing for England, I found that a bit difficult as well because the, the fame of it wasn't really what I was in it for. Good job you're not on television or anything. It's terrible. That was the case, <laughs> wouldn't it? But thankfully my face is not there. But this is the... Sorry. Fergie, Go on, Steve. You're going to say something. Sir Alex often gets uh, criticism for mistakes he made in the transfer market, but these sort of things never come to light, do they? <laughs> Well, so anyway, <laughs> getting back, you and ignoring that, the players he nearly signed that. but decided not oh, to. He never gets wow. credit for that. He wasn't he? allowed to because City said, "No way are we letting that lad leave." You weren't, you weren't in the same service station <laughs> as Alan Shearer when he had that conversation. No, no, no. See again, myself and Alan Shearer playing for United. Oh, it would have been awesome, awful, Kids. awesome. Hinchcliffe, <laughs> cross, Shearer, header, four hundred times. <laughs> but anyway, so yes. should stop for a sausage roll on the M62, Sir Alex. I'm over here. <laughs> but anyway, that was. Maybe <laughs> moving across Manchester was was you know playing for City. We beat them in the FA Youth Cup final, so that was it was in my heart, Man City. So really, moving to United at eighteen, nineteen, but would you I did not done it because of that. I, I yes, because I'm going back now to the the younger Chinch self. I'm putting myself back and going traveling back through time <laughs> to when I was seventeen. It's oh my goodness, the shorts are so tight. But anyway, <laughs> thinking about how I felt, I absolutely. Didn't because Liverpool, Kenny Daglish, Liverpool were coming to watch again, and I was scoring goals. And I know, amazing scoring goals, uh, and there was a lot of talk about them, and it was on back pages. And I was really, and I, I just won a few games where it can kind of die down a little bit because I don't, I'm not in it. So again, it must all stem from those early days about just wanting to play, wanting to play with the mates that I grew up with at City, loving playing for City, and feeling I had an obligation to do well for them. It was never my intention to leave so maybe that again then spills onto the, the further clubs that you play for you want to do the very best that you can and when I was at Everton and the success we had and how they stood by me injuries and everything else why would I want to leave but again maybe it was my personality and that was really fashioned from those early days when maybe there was talk of Liverpool and Man United when I was at City and it's not what I wanted but again family influences maybe financially it maybe would have worn me down and you maybe would have and if City had said look the option is there do you want to do it maybe I'd have thought differently but thankfully that that was never put on the table take um 30 years off your life and you are oh. once again a, a young teenage 12 left back <laughs> 12 see, 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 plus was nice. I said 20 that was that was nice yeah, of me yeah. wasn't it she you said 20 years we all knew what you meant um, there's a player who, who made a move similar to that mm. um, that was mooted for you but didn't happen mm. um, Luke Shaw 
joins yes. Manchester United for approaching thirty million pounds, and he's he's had a tricky time, not just because of injuries, but because of the difficulties that he has had adapting to being that man, that. Mm-hmm. Multi-million pound left back breaking through to the England side. That there are a lot of parallels between you and him. He's not quite as good at free kicks as you are. Crossing, maybe better looking. That's he's for not sure. quite as. Good. Have you ever seen him score a free kick? <laughs> he scored a free kick. I has think he? His early years. I'm sure he has. You can't look. You can't bring it to mind though, can you? Well, anyway, carry on. I can't bring yours to mind. It's not I, a Twitter, sen- it's not a Twitter sensation like Chinch's free <laughs> exactly. kick. Though. Yes, but free also, <laughs> also against QPR. One. We'll have to work out the finances. Seven, say, seven hundred and fifty grand back in in 1988 compared to 30 million when Luke Shaw moved it wouldn't be if it was 30 million back it would have been a different story wouldn't it City would have said please take him off our hands but he's can, a duck egg can you, can you understand <laughs> that he might have had difficulties with not only saying no the fact that he is well he's saying no to Manchester United yes mm. but I think that and to Southampton as well who probably wanted to sell him <laughs> yes for that amount of money yeah, yes. yes but also the, the difficulty that he has now compared to your situation which is that he has got a lot of people immediately around him and were around him at the time mm. who were perhaps making it very difficult for him to just concentrate on his football at the age where he needs to yes. so he can develop into the player that everybody hopes that he's going to well, be. Well this is the thing the influence around players is hugely important it isn't just agents it can be girlfriends wives kids it can be absolutely everything and that's well, it's, it's human nature, isn't it? If people keep telling you how much better it could be and you can't send it, it might, ha- might never happen again. And Steve said he might get injured and next week and he might never play. So you, you've got to do it, got to do it. Hand on heart, he might not have wanted to leave and probably just wanted to get on with the job, which is what I wanted to do when I was 17, 18. We don't know because I've never had that conversation with him. Very interesting to see if you gave him the choice again, would he want to make that move or just want to play another three or four years at, at Southampton? But again, it was maybe out of his hands a little bit with the clubs wanting to do the deal people around him saying this is too good you've got to go you've got to go and maybe psychologically more than anything else he's found it incredibly difficult to step into a club like that and be expected to be brilliant week in and week out and I do feel that that would have been my problem as well because psychologically I have a lot of problems <laughs> I know they're not all the start of this podcast but I, and I because I still I worry and worry and worry and, and back then I did and I was scared to death even when I moved to Everton at 1920 that was a huge move for me to a, a club as established Come on, you're not that old it wasn't 1920 it was, <laughs> it was 1990 <laughs> the long but uh, it, psychologically you've got to remember as well but I, I do feel players can be beaten down and just feel okay I'll do it because everyone's saying I should do it and it's whether they really want to do it and there's not many tales you hear of players saying you know what this is not what I want I'm Matt, Matt Letizier maybe at Southampton there was surely numerous offers for him to well, maybe move clubs but he said yeah. And Newcastle. yeah so did, but how close they got I don't know but he said no I'm, I'm happy yeah. where I want to stay he, here he is he is perhaps the the, the pin-up boy not the way not the way he looks obviously but in terms of loyalty to a club I think in he's the matured face, very well not the way he looks <laughs> in the face of <laughs> offers from El- you know he, he was he was that 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 is a very very rare example of a mm. player staying with a with a lower premier league club through through sheer loyalty alone, or perhaps because he did because he was happy, to, he was he was very happy. happy. but yeah. also tapping into what Chinch said, there was a little bit. If you read Matt Lassizier's autobiography, there, there was a sense that he he didn't he wasn't convinced that if he were to move, mm. he would have the same license to be who he wanted to be. I don't think he would. He would he would have got lost. No. He would have been a smaller fish in a bigger pond. Absolutely, and yeah. he, to, to be the player that he was, there was a huge amount of license owed to him, particularly by Alan Ball, under whom he was most successful because he said to him we're building our team around you you get that luxury 
somewhere else, even though I think he was thinking of moving to Spurs, which likes to, to try and encourage that sort of player. Goes back to his favourite player, Glenn Hoddle, yeah, yeah. and there was a link there. Even with that, and even Newcastle, which is another club he nearly went to, although that would have been a geographical um, distance, which would have probably made yes, him that feel slightly have made more much, much, uncomfortable. Much sense, would it, that move? He, he realised, he had the presence of mind to realise, hang on a minute, even if I do this, it might be more money. I might be at a bigger club, but where will my career go? And so he maybe had the same insecurities that yeah, you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah, but at the time, it was really understandable that he didn't want to leave. But you ask the modern football fan and tell them the story of Matt Letizia, they'd say, well, I can't believe he didn't go yeah. to Tottenham or to Newcastle. Because they just would expect it now of players to say, well, the, the money's going to triple, I'm off. Yeah, he, he would have been guaranteed in, in, on a three or four year contract, whatever he would have earned for the remainder of his career yeah. with Southampton. But, the, but Lord, play, one, one club players who are often, you know, the, the, the ones held up as an example of loyalty, more often than not, the reason they're a one club player is because of the success they've had with that club. You know, you look at the class of 92 at Manchester United, well, those players stuck around because they were winning things and they were being rewarded not just with silverware but with ever-increasing salaries because of the consequence of the success they were having you know and that's that's true in, in you know in other big clubs Letizia is the example of the one club player mm. who for whom just staying up in the Premier League each season was a success and yet he did turn down better money and the opportunity of success elsewhere to remain loyal to the club where he was happy that's why we're saying now in terms of if loyalty exists for players, it's money has basically taken that taken that out of the equation of now because loyalty is basically being bought, and that's yeah. just the way, the way the modern football is. That's not a criticism of modern players. Yeah. The success of the player runs parallel to the success of the club, mm. and if they continue to enjoy that together, then they will remain together. Mm-hmm. So that is something of a sad but a necessary reality upon which we end part one of our conversation about loyalty, and part two uh, will um, set it a little wider in terms of context. We will uh, wonder what might be and what what indeed is expected that might be a little bit too high in terms of expectations from fans, from players, from clubs, from those who work for those clubs. Uh, So that's to come on part two of our discussion about loyalty on set piece menu. During part two, there will also be a soccer story. There will be. uh, Because Andy has returned to us. Arms open wide, ready with a story, a tale from his playing days uh, that will be most heartily received because it's been quite a few weeks since we had that and also um, on the last podcast we tried to tell our own stories about oh did you and yeah there was no there was no um, great reception I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's no comparison. Want, your lines compared you. to mine, it's pretty pointless. You isn't are the it? narrator. That is how this they, works. Am they, I? they were pretty hilarious, though. They were hilarious. For the three were of they? us. For the three of us. Oh, I'll have to listen back to that. As good as it gets. Uh, please, in the meantime, subscribe, share, rate, and review. Remember, I reminded you earlier. Please do rate and review. I did that with like a slightly stern face. Mm. Both my parents are teachers. You can tell, can't you? I pointed. Your as face well. is still red, though, and sunburnt. <laughs> and that's true. As we humbly are. <laughs> all right. Okay. Hang on a minute. Whenever I bring up your face, you get all touchy. It's not about my sunburn, though. It's my features you keep going on about, which are understandably gruesome. <laughs> they are. Well, please go on about my sunburn. You just get red-faced talking, so at least I've got an excuse. We do humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, we thank you. We thank Steve. We thank uh, Andy Hinchcliffe as well. Welcome back, Chinch. Uh, and to you for listening. Continue to get in touch at Set Piece Menu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Part two is coming. We will be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. You didn't answer the question, though. If you got a, what a mega offer 
from a rival broadcaster. Would you just say it was just a suggestion? I'm off. How it wasn't a question because I knew what the outcome would be. <laughs> you just go. Yeah. It's completely just space. No, because go. it's yeah. completely unlikely. He'd be, handing, no, no. he'd be handing in his work ID this afternoon, <laughs> posting it to them, not even coming in. Hello, goodbye. <laughs> he'd be he'd be he'd be oh. in the office on his final day, googling new cars. <laughs> This is funny oh. enough. This is, if you if you go Mercenary. through the same, it's a complete um, hypothetical, obviously. But if you go through the same thought process, I would imagine because we're all humans, you would you would you would make it based completely on the money at the end. <laughs> You're Having to decide whether you want to move, whether or not it's the right people to work with. Are they paying me? How much? Okay, bye. <laughs> so we're criticising footballers for moving. Exactly. And you're doing exactly the same. Well, that's thing. I think society, I said that. modern society. I said that earlier. I said that earlier. Did I you? I wasn't listening. I think as we almost 100% of fans would do the same thing. Hypothetical yeah. situation, though. That's the difference. It's not, though, is it? Is he not? For sure is he is. not in demand? Is he, what, this lad not in demand? What? what are you offering me? What are you trying to say? Do you want to be my agent? You've never had one, but you could be my agent. Me in negotiations. Yeah, I, I'm like a let's I'm like play. a chocolate bar in front Steve, of a fire. Steve, you're a broadcaster. You're my agent. Let's role play. No, sorry, not I'm not putting on that nurse. <laughs> I'm not putting on that nurse's uniform. Whatever you say.